Mayor of Slam Town, Johnny Mundo, a.k.a. Johnny Impact, FKA, John Morrison, sometimes known as Johnny Gimmick Name, and you're listening to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. That's got to be probably one of the best intros that we have, Chris, by far. Love Mr. John Morrison. Johnny Gimmick Name, if you will. The only thing he doesn't call himself is Johnny Wrestling. You know why? Because he's not a little biatch. I'm just kidding. I love Johnny Gargano, but I'm just saying. He's turned into a little biatch. Anyways, how's everyone doing out there? This is another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Coming to you on a off day because of my ass once again. Thursday, I promise you, I don't think anything's going on next week. We'll have it back on Wednesday, 7 p.m. EST like we always do. Uh, definitely, if you're a new listener, uh, check us out, gvnation.com. Uh, that is the uh, Geek Vibe Nation website. You can find out news in all different categories, what we go over, um, and also a link to basically our Instagram, our Twitter, our Facebook, our iTunes account, and then also has the Direct Connect for Blog Talk if you just want to listen there for your podcast needs. All right, now that I get that out of the way, I want to introduce my wonderful co-host, Mr. Christopher, Christopher, Brother Ray Patton. I fucked up your name already. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, man. Glad to be off the walk. Uh, off the walk. What the hell am I fucking making food over here now? I'm glad to be off work and uh, looking forward to talking to some wrestling, as always, and uh, cracking open a beer, settling in, and hearing you whisper sweet nothings for the next two hours or so. Oh, nice. I like that. I, think it's, I, I can tell already that both me and you are exhausted. This should be a great episode. Uh, no matter what, we'll, we'll give content. We will at least provide content of some level. I also, I uh, listened to the Saturday show back because I do that to gather notes. I want to apologize to everyone. I spent 70 bucks on what I thought was decent headphones, and it sounded like shit the whole episode, so... Once again, I'm without headphones, and hopefully I will buy a correct pair or listen to Chris on what I should buy the next time I go and purchase some instead of just compulsive buying at the airport like an idiot and getting the wrong type. Also, I also wanted to thank uh, Pro Wrestling Roundup uh, Facebook page for uh, asking me to join their page. Uh, Appreciate it. Hope to do a little bit of maybe cross-promoting, and if there's any new listeners uh, from that page, what's up? Let's talk wrestling. Uh, Let us know what you think. And, uh, yeah, let's get into the whole entire news thing, Chris, shall we? Yeah, dude, let's go. Yeah, brother. Well, this is not about Macho Man Randy Savage, but it is about the other half of the Mega Powers, reported by Dave Metzler, not confirmed, but reported by a very high source, Hulk Hogan will make his return. I doubt it's in ring, but return at uh, the Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia, from the request of the prince, that's basically paying for it. So this situation we've talked about in the past. I'm not going to go back into it. Um, I'm not saying let the man fry, but he needs to do a lot more uh, soul searching, it sounds like, and also work his way back up before I would think that he should return to something like this. I also get that this is, with the Saudi Arabia thing, it's also a hairy situation, by the way. Uh, so that's already there about the no women, you know, I think evolution's like a week before this. So, um, hell of a card return of Hulk Hogan, potentially, uh, pretty much almost confirmed the, the in-ring return of Shawn Michaels, same, uh, venue. Uh, 
Uh, and I get, like I said, this is request of the prince. He was the same guy that wanted Yokozuna and um, other wrestlers at the first event, uh, not really knowing. It's, it, he's obviously stuck in one era. Well, that's fine. I mean, that's one of my favorite eras as well. But Hogan comes with a lot of baggage. And uh, even though Mark Henry and especially Booker T have said they want to forgive Terry Bollea for the past, the fact that the bad taste in everyone's mouth is when he came to the event after getting reinducted in the Hall of Fame and basically made it more about watch yourself because you might be on camera instead of I did some fucked up shit, that that is there, and it's always going to be there. Um, trying to ignore Hulk Hogan is pretty much an impossibility. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for him, I don't think wrestling would be as popular as it was. Um, and I think most of the uh, the big greats, even Ric Flair and Stone Cold, who probably took it up another level, Stone Cold, and probably Ric Flair was the better performer of that era, they would probably say the same thing about Hulk Hogan. Um, so I get this. This is business. Uh, some of it just is kind of icky. So I'm kind of pretty much impartial. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be hard for me not to mark out hearing the the theme music, him come to the ring, just make a promo, do whatever, you know, something like that. It could be fun. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with them exactly. Uh, no idea. Maybe a stare down with another wrestler, you know, like he did with Stone Cold not too long ago, Chris. I don't really know. Um, I don't think it's the greatest idea, but, you know, I guess in some terms, if this is true, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, doesn't mean I have to really agree or, or appreciate it. Chris, what do you think about this? Well, I mean, we've went down the path of talking about Hulk Hogan multiple times at this point. So I guess my, you know, the thing is it's combined with already event people are up in arms about. So I guess if you're going to piss people off, you might as well double piss them off. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission is, I guess, what they're going with here. Uh, my thoughts is probably based on everything that Hogan has been posting on Twitter lately. It's all been black and white Hogan. Um, I would assume maybe they think they can soften the blow by doing something with the NWO. So my guess as far as what they're going to do on the show would be some sort of NWO spot with Hogan, some capacity, maybe them versus DX or, you know, something weird like that where you get like a version of NWO, Sean, Triple H, and, you know, someone else, and uh, they kind of face off. Uh, That would be my guess of how they would utilize Hogan. It's not like him cutting a promo on Saudi Arabia. I don't necessarily know is going to do much in the building, but uh, obviously a big name, like you said, the Sultan or the Prince. I guess uh, I can't re- I can't recall which one. I feel terrible about it right now, but um, it sounds kind of like they're going for they they want to mix in some of these legends that they know them better. And it's similar to what they asked for last year with someone like Yokozuna and some some other wrestlers that had passed away as far as people who they could get on the card. I don't necessarily think it's in WWE's best interest, but I also didn't feel like this pay-per-view in general was in WWE's best interest. So I guess if you're going to do it, you might as well combine the two. And um, it's going to be interesting to see the fallout. If people are going to be really excited about it, how many people are going to be upset about it, and does it just combine to people's overall disdain? And then what that equates to as far as how many watches this thing gets on the WWE network. Because I'm assuming it's still, even if you 
are absolutely disgusted about it, but you're a wrestling fan and still Hulk Hogan, so maybe you tune in just to see what happens. Or it's such a weird event that even though you know people are openly mad about the females not being there, if you go back and look at the views, it was the most viewed thing on the WWE Network during that time period. And like I've always said, if you're completely disgusted with a, with a product and you don't want any part of it, the worst thing you can do is watch it. Like the best thing to do is just not watch it in general. Um, that's the only form of protest you're going to have, especially if they're already saying they're going to do it. So if you feel strongly about it, my suggestion would be just don't watch it because WWE is going to do whatever the hell they want to anyways. And, and, and that's more of a personal thing and, and how your politics fall on one side of the fence or the other at the end of the day. Um, but uh, am I excited for Hogan? Like I said, they're just going to use him in a capacity of either him doing a run-in or them doing an NWO spot, which I think is probably the most likely. Uh, and I don't really care. Like, it doesn't do anything for me. And uh, this pay-per-view in general just feels like a Monday Night Raw, for the most part, from what I've seen and kind of where they're going to be going with it. You may see a title change or something, but outside of that, I don't. They're not putting as much effort into this thing as they do a normal pay per view, other than getting big names to show up. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Um, I'm even looking down the roster right now, trying to find a wrestler that could have some type of interaction that would make sense at all. I don't know. How about the New Day comfort, or, uh, confronts Hollywood Hogan and. <laughs> Oh, Nash. I don't know. It, like like, like we said, it, it's a weird situation. Hulk Hogan is one of my favorite wrestlers. He's the guy that started, you know, me getting into wrestling in the first place and watching it when I was a kid. So there is that. It just sucks that he stood for something and he kind of, I don't know, hasn't been making up for that and kind of proving the ego and, and everything else that we've heard behind the scenes for a very long time. So I get it. Just like Saudi Arabia, the amount of money that they're getting to do that, uh, it just sucks. And I, I agree with you. If you have a problem with it, don't watch the event, especially even out of curiosity. Just don't watch it. There's no point into that. I don't know. So we'll have to wait on that. And who knows? Maybe maybe Metzler's wrong. Maybe this is all just a bunch of bullshit. There's nothing that we can really call until it actually happens. And then, of course, we'll talk about it again, unfortunately, on here. But that's what we do. Anyway, so the next subject. Um, so, Chris, on that Raw, uh, there was another unfortunate event that happened on that. Uh, we had a match between um, Brie Bella, Nikki Bella, and Natalia versus the Riot Squad. Um, you know, Sarah Logan, Liv Morgan, and Ruby Riot. And in the match, Brie Bella uh, went to go do the yes kicks to Liv Morgan. And on the fourth kick, I believe, maybe it's the third, she hit her directly in the face. This would cause Liv to go forward with her head. And then she hit her again, knocking her out, uh, you know, I think square across the jaw, basically. Uh, maybe, maybe towards the nose. I don't remember exactly what the knockout was. She was knocked out. Everyone handled it pretty poorly. Uh, with, I know Brie was probably freaked out, but trying to move her immediately, which if it's a neck injury, that might be a horrible idea. Uh, you don't know at that point. And trying to get her out of the ring. Um, then the medical team were to, uh, you know, come in and look at her, uh, 
with Dr. Armand while everything's going on in the match. You could tell, I, I don't know, this has been called out and speculated, and I watched the match over again, and I can kind of possibly agree that um, Ruby might have thrown a couple potatoes uh, to the way of Brie a little bit later, maybe some receipts. Um, not sure. She definitely hit her a lot harder. Um, and Ruby basically was pl- playing the in-ring general of, of making sure everything was okay and, and handled on her side, which I'm sure if, if it was Natalia's side, she would have been that person too. Um, this doesn't bode well for Nikki, and this has caused a, uh, a shit stream of ignorance to an extent and also concern, which I get. Uh, the concern I, I'll look at in a way that you got to see her track record since coming back. She had a night where she did two suicide dives unsuccessfully and could have seriously hurt herself uh, against Selena Vega. She did her, uh, I think her running knee and knocked the shit out of her. She also busted out open uh, the Miz in a punch, which was probably supposed to be a working punch from what I can gather. Uh, I think he started bleeding from the mouth. And now this, which would probably be the worst one on the opposite end. This is professional wrestling. Uh, there's a lot of people at fault in this outside of Brie. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, but stuff like this happens. I remember one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, I don't remember if he's at the top of my list, and we'll go over that later. Uh, Seth Rollins, uh, you know, it was back to back to back. He, he broke John Cena's nose very badly. He ended Sting's career ultimately, even though Sting admits that he took he took the bump, you know, wrong, basically the way that he fell on the shoulders. So screwed up stingers back and then took out Finn Balor for almost a year. Um, so, you know, people like Bret Hart said he was unsafe and Samoa Joe's been called unsafe because of a freak accident on a, on a muscle buster that he won't even do anymore, uh, on Tyson kid. And even Tyson doesn't, you know, blame him. Uh, so basically what I'm trying to say is like, I understand they're safe wrestlers, but I also understand that they're doing combat. And even if they're, they're mimicking it, you know, it's this stuff like this is going to happen. Um, so I don't think like just throwing it on breeze hundred percent, uh, you know, the answer, if you will. And I don't think it's, it's just her fault. If you look at the referee, the referee should have stopped it immediately, got her out of the ring just from the start, let the medical team come down there. Uh, that's apparently the orders he was getting. Um, you know, through gorilla position and was kind of freaking out and just letting Bree kind of handle the situation, which, like I said, dragging someone to potentially have a neck injury is not a good idea. That's definitely spontaneous and in the moment and just fear-based, if anything. And then later on, uh, when Liv Morgan did the suplex spot, the triple suplex spot, uh, he was told not to let her come back in, and I understand that's not really his fault. Like, you know, at that point, she's going past him and just doing it. Um, so there's a lot of it was a hairy situation. Uh, all I know is an MMA, if someone gets knocked unconscious, the match stops. So I don't know why it would go any different towards something that's, you know, scripted. Uh, so that's my, my, my take on it. Chris, how do you feel about Brie Bella? Do you think that she's a little bit dangerous in the ring, needs to get a ring rust off and kind of like stay more basic? Or do you think this is just a situation of uh, unfortunate events spiraling out of control that happens in wrestling every time? So I think it's a little bit of both, where Brie Bella has never been one of the best female wrestlers on the roster. I guess during the time period in which it was more diva-based, you could put her at the top of that list. But when you compare her to the rest of the people around her right now, she is one of the weakest workers. 
I do think there is a bit of ring rust there, obviously. Um, and I also think that with the way that you have someone like a Sasha Banks, a Charlotte Flair, um, yeah, Alexa Bliss to some extent, or you know, uh, Becky Lynch, Oscar, uh, uh, these kind of females have stepped the game up so much that if you're coming back, you're doing twice as much as you normally would do. So twice as much as three normally would do. I think she's maybe working over her head um, a little bit and trying to give people the same kind of matchup that you would see from one of one of those athletes, and, and I don't know that she's necessarily capable of it. I think that she is going stiffer with those kicks on purpose because that's how Daniel Bryan does them. Obviously, the aim is a little better. I don't know, you know if it was just a bad night or just a moment or a slip-up or whatever. But uh, before I, you know anyone berates her, you could look at someone like Seamus, who I have done in the past, and say he's completely unsafe. He has done a lot of very unsafe stuff. If you look at his matches with the Hardy Boys, if you look at uh, you know, the fact that he basically is one of the reasons Daniel, one of multiple, well, two of multiple concussions that Daniel Bryan had by being too stiff and, and working the way he works. Uh, you could look at someone like Nia Jax, who's you know dropped multiple people. You could look at even someone like Sasha Banks. Who uh, has some very scary moments here and there? I, I think it's a, it's a little bit of ring rust, a little bit of you know Brie has never been a top. I, I would never call her a top female wrestler in the WWE in general. And then to combine that with how much effort these females are putting in trying to have these kind of matches, um, kind of fall into an unsafe working place. But you can look around the entire wrestling world right now and point out what are two things that are safe and unsafe in almost every match. Um, and that's kind of just where we're at, especially if you start talking about New Japan, which we talk about continuously whenever there's a big pay-per-view about unsafe spots and different things that we liked and didn't like. That being said, you know, I, I don't think it was ill intent, and I think it was probably a combination, like you said, with, with ring rust, and, and then from where I stand, just being over your head a little bit and trying to work over your head and, and then the nerves of knowing that you're they've thrusted them back to the top of the card. So everything they do have to has to look as good as possible and now you're in a situation where maybe that's why she took her out of the ring, tried to cover it up. I, I don't know. That was bad. I think that was just a pure panic moment. Uh, I, the one the one thing I will say is in some of the, the men's matches, when someone gets hurt, they do a way better job of just ending the match, for instance. Uh, one more recent would be Big Cass and, and Noah Moore, both who are no longer with the company, but when Big Cass got injured, they just had Enzo get the win and finished it, you know, in, in less than three or four seconds after they knew Cass was done for the most part. So there's ways to get around that, but uh, I, I think it's a little bit of both, and, and she definitely had unsafe moments in the past. This isn't the first time. But like I said, she's not the only person on the roster that you could point to. Like you said, with Seth Rollins or Samoa Joe, there's some of that stuff is just bad luck. And some of it, like I said, is probably ring rust and just trying to do too much to entertain the crowd or get them into a match. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and it, I, I hate that she's getting a lot of hate, you know, from this. Uh, people are, just vicious online like normal because it's so easy to be an asshole when you're not looking at the person just talking behind a fucking keyboard. But either way, you know, it's got to be frustrating. I'm sure that she's worked a lot with her husband, Daniel, and trying to up her skill. And honestly, and I'm, I'm not trying to be rude, I've always thought that, that Brie came off more personable 
and you know, Nikki just didn't have that quality. She seemed like she was not a Kardashian, but like like she was playing a character, if you will. Um, but at the same time, I will give this credit. I think Nikki's better in the ring than Bree. I think that uh, she just—I don't know if she's trained. Bree's very stiff about the way that she wrestles. She's not as fluid, and you can tell. And uh, I hope she just learned from this mistake, and I think everyone should get off her ass because mistakes do happen. It's professional wrestling. The New Japan, uh, you know, example was was very perfect and well said. You know, you're going to tell me Kota Ibushi is, is unsafe? It depends. I mean, I, on the which way you look at it, but I, I, don't, I don't think that, especially if you have to consider the other person. Obviously, Liv Morgan, she was knocked out, but, you know, that's all you're going to – that it, this is going to happen, and and we're lucky that it wasn't worse than what it was. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, on. as a follow up, that well, just real quick as a follow up, I would say, yeah. you know, this happens in a lot of sports. Like for instance, any any sport that's very fluid. So in hockey, last year there was an instance where Taylor Hall hit a guy behind the net for the New Jersey Devils. The normal thing is on a big hit, the team bum rushes, and the poor guy was laying on the ice unconscious. So you ended up with a bunch of skaters pretty much skating over top of them. Um, so it's not just wrestling. Like, concussions are just scary in general. And at that point, it's up to the officials to try to dial that back as much as possible. And in this situation, I think they did a piss poor job, or whoever called that in the back to, to let it be handled that way did a really piss poor job of the situation. To me, you end the match right then and there. It's just a pinfall victory. Whatever happens, who gives a shit? It's a throwaway match on Raw. So from that standpoint, I, I would say you know the company and the official in the ring are are to blame just as much, if not more, than the actual wrestler making a mistake. Yeah, because they're supposed to keep charge, and the and the ref. I mean, here's the thing. I understand, and I mean, I'm pretty sure it's just her trying to be a badass. Uh, I understand, Liv wouldn't stop because I think, she, I think Bree tried to do a fast three count very much quickly after that, but she counted it or, uh, um, lives stopped the count. The ref should have just pretend that didn't even happen and just stop it. I'm sorry. That's, that's how it should have. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why you try to make more movement on her. And then for her to get back in the ring, that was also on her too. So I, I respect Liv Morgan as a performer and wanting to keep on going, but we got to be careful nowadays. Now with that, we know a lot more about concussions. And I think that is the bottom line of that whole entire conversation. All right. Next one. All right. So, uh, God, I, I don't know if I can even do a Kenny Omega impersonation, but I got to read some of the stuff that he said. So, basically, Kenny Omega and Tanahashi have a few going on right now. Tanahashi has uh, a briefcase, very similar, if you guys are not familiar with New Japan, to the Money in the Bank. Uh, it's something that he won from the G1 in order to get a title shot whenever he calls for it. He uh, recently uh, allowed Okada to try to, you know, have out that same thing because he didn't beat him at the G1, but we'll get into that later. But there's always this element sometimes between wrestlers where you can't tell if what's going on is kayfabe, you know, a part of the whole entire storyline if you will, to build it up. And a lot of new Japan is very good to hide in this. Or if there is a level of it being true, you know, if there is actually animosity between wrestlers. Uh, and I've always said that the people that put on the best matches, I think that in the history of wrestling, usually are guys that are either best friends or they hate each other. 
And that's just how it works. Or, or they started off as friends and they, they end up hating each other for whatever reason. A lot of times that can bring out the best in them. So with Tanahashi and, and Kenny Omega, I almost find this in a way, Chris, you know, a similar situation to Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels in the sense that Tanahashi, and I mean, I think he thinks more so than I do. And a lot of elements, Dave Metz are always compares in the Bret Hart, you know, stylistically, just being a great wrestler, being that, that extremely over baby face, especially within his country, um, but not having to say much, you know, you know, talking more with his wrestling ability, if you will. Kenny Omega definitely plays the role of the Sean in, in the sense of he's always come off pretty humble in uh, interviews, and that's why I think this is definitely staged. But the character he plays is very arrogant, very full of himself, very I'm the best, you know, and all this other shit. So where this all stems from is Tanahashi was recently getting interviewed, was asked about Kenny Omega, and kind of just put him off to the side and said that he wasn't impressed by his match styles, that he just does a bunch of stuff he doesn't know how to story tell. Yeah, that's, that's pretty uh, – that's, that's, uh, that's some words that can be very – aggressive towards a wrestler like Kenny Omega, if this is true. So let's say it's not um, true and this is all just staged, and this is a great storytelling. But he was on a random outlet, I think a radio station that, that was local, and this is what he was saying about Kenny, about him being his opponent, and just kind of just cut him down to, you know, it wasn't about, yeah, I'm going to beat him or anything like that. It was, yeah, I'm not really, I've never really been that impressed with him. Which also even though Tanahashi comes off as such a great baby face, very, very Bret Hart-ish, if you will, of just, you know, uh, he's, he's okay. He just comes in and, you know, I just don't see a, you know, the, the big deal with him. Uh, that's totally something that you would say. Well, Kenny's a little bit different. And, you know, whether it's BK fabe or not, I love this response. I don't think I can go over the whole entire thing because it's a lot of fucking wordage. But I will get to the point where um, – he just says, the thing is, I know that New Japan at, at, at that time, they don't want to have to use me as their main event star. As their number one, of course they don't. Look at the way they push Tanahashi. They still call that old fuck the A's. He still appears on TV. He has a movie in Japan. It's embarrassing. Absolutely fucking embarrassing. But they don't understand. Hey, guess what? This is a business. We need money, and the American fans aren't stupid. They understand what a good match is. They understand who's able to give the best matches. I'm not here to cash checks. I'm not here for money. I'm not here to do the classic style and the way wrestling is supposed to be. I'm the greatest fucking showman and the greatest fucking showman in professional wrestling, maybe of all fucking time. So they have no choice but to put me in the main event. I know they don't give a fuck about me as a person, and I know there was one match where I wasn't in the main event. But I still remember that match I had before. In the semi versus Michael Elgin. That was still the best bout. And guess what? Even the main event, I'm still going to have the best bout. Because no one here comes close to what I can do. We'll just evaluate that saying and just what you think about it. And then I'll do the next part that goes even the more uh, to shade at Tanahashi and says that he should go over to fucking WWE and go try to have a match with Roman Reigns if he wants to do his style. Chris, how do you feel about this? Is this all just a part of the show? 
or is, do you think there might be a level of truth within this animosity? Well, I would I would say this, right? If Tanahashi did question his style as far as what Kenny Omega is, what he does in the ring, and whether they agree to verbally joust or not, we'll never know. I, I just with how heated he was and knowing Kenny Omega, it seems a bit of a work. I'm sure he respects Tanahashi. Um, but that doesn't mean that they didn't sprinkle some realism back and forth. And, and I think, you know, there is a difference between the style of New Japan wrestling that Tanahashi does in the ring. Um, obviously a little more, I don't want to say old school, but definitely has that kind of flair to but, it. As opposed to Omega, who, you know, he's going to have signature. He's going to have high spots. Omega is going to have his high spots. Tanahashi, you know, he has his one or two high spots, but Omega's matches, there are going to be lots of suicide dives. You're going to have very signature American spots, what I would consider very American spots, where you have a crowd, you know, chant behind you before you do a move. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's things that are very WWE about Kenny Omega and some of his movesets and how he approaches them, not in a disgusting way or anything, but you can draw that to being more of an American style of wrestling um, or even more of a Lucha style. Uh, so, you know, Kenny Omega laying into laying into Tanahashi sets him up as, as a heel in New, in Japan, and it also still gives the American fans to be like, hell yeah, you guys need an American come over there, and even though he's fucking Canadian, which <laughs> still uh still out there. But, that, I mean, that's kind of what I think they're gearing toward is this feud. So we'll see what happens in the press conferences and everything else. I would I would say, you know, 75% work and then, you know, 25% truth about how they feel about each other. But it's – either way, it's exciting. It's a build-up to a match, obviously, for Wrestle Kingdom. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see where the story goes from here. But uh, Kenny Omega just did such a great job at almost, I, I would say, eviscerating Tanahashi – in a way that I don't think I've ever heard anyone else do that makes the feud a little more interesting, which I, at the end of the day, that's what you're going for, right? So uh, New Japan's good at good at these angles. So it could all be bullshit, who knows? But like I said, I would, I would say, you know, there's a little bit of animosity between both of them. Tanahashi was the John Cena of that company for a long time. So um, I, at the end of the day, this draws money, so I don't think New Japan cares. And I'm sure that they're both professional enough to go in there and just have a straight good match. So it's not going to matter. Absolutely. But I love that level of realism that could be within there. I mean, you said John Cena. I mean, this kind of reminds me of Punk and Cena in a way, you know, or Sean and Brett, that type of rivalry that there's a level of respect. Uh, they might have actually liked each other more so. And I mean, this, like I said, this could all be bullshit between Omega and uh, Tanahashi. But in general, when this type of thing happens, level of respect, these, they might have actually liked each other. But when it comes down to it, they don't very much respect each other's style because theirs was better, or to some extent. The, the guy that was beforehand, that does the more classic style, either gets called out for being, you know, too easygoing and not trying things, or it's the opposite in which the older guys like, guys doing too much. So that classic, classic game. Um, if you guys want to, you know, hear the rest of it, just look up the interview. Like I said, at the end of it, uh, he said that Tanahashi belongs in WWE. He can be the next fucking Roman Reigns. So don't think for a second that new, that that's new Japan style. What Tanahashi should do is fucking thank me 
because you actually think a Tanahashi main event could ever go to America. So I'll end it right there. And uh, I love Kenny Omega. <laughs> My God, he's a shoot or a fucking work, dude. Just brilliant, just being able to be that in character or that uh, egotistical, I guess. But I think there's a level of reason of why he's like that. Uh, any closing statements, Chris, before we move on? I mean, you know, not to, to discredit Kenny Omega, I would think Tanahashi works more of a traditional New Japan style than Kenny Omega. And Kenny Omega works more of a modern American style, like a, a la Seth Rollins. So it's just kind of funny that they're going back and forth about these styles when they're both <laughs> kind of doing the opposite of one another. But, yeah, I mean, outside of that, I think it's interesting. I look forward to the feud. Um, and you get a, you you get this great great feud where you're pitting Japan against America. You're you're putting you know Tanahashi, who's a fucking legend in Japan, versus a very cheered for person in America and in Japan, Kenny Omega, and you're building a good storyline around it. Something that I wish fucking WWE could do months in advance of WrestleMania that they always seem to fail at. So props on New Japan as yep. always for doing a good fucking job. Yep, thanks NXT for being the only product that can pull that off in WWE and having the least amount of uh, money and funding. <sighs> Love you, New Japan. Anyways, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, speaking of a little bit of um, uh, a rift, if you will, Kazuchika Okada went against uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, like, we, like I said, uh, this past weekend for the opportunity to win the briefcase from the G1 to guarantee the person for title match. And they very much mimicked their G1 match in which the ending uh, was Tanahashi. Uh, in G1, he did three um, high fly flows. They're a frost flash crossbody, but whatever. You know, that's what he calls them uh, in a row. But it went out of time, and it was a draw between the two of them. We'll go to this match, same ending, but Okada actually lost. Okada seems like, you know, I mean, they made him so dominant for such a long time that they're kind of rebuilding him by bringing him down a couple notches to bring him back up uh, within that story. And I love the progression, and I love uh, what they're doing uh, with it. At the end of it, uh, Switchblade Jay White came out, beat the crap out of Tanahashi. Okada was like, what the hell are you doing? Started beating the crap out of him. Um, he went to go grab a chair from the announce desk that Rocky Romero, fellow Chaos member, was sitting on and told Rocky to give him the chair. Rocky wouldn't do it, so he knocked him over, grabbed the chair, went inside the ring. Enter Gato, who is basically the manager, if you will, for Chaos, even though he used to be a wrestler, and he's the booker for New Japan, if you didn't know that. Um, Gato grabs the chair from uh, Jay White, says, what are you doing? You know, you're screwing up this everything, blah, 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 blah. Let's Okada get up. It looks like Okada's about to confront with Gato, you know, behind him in his corner and pulls a Seth Rollins and just lays out Okada and tells him that he's a has-been and that he doesn't need him and that uh, soon Jay White will lead Chaos. So it looks like a match will happen. Um, he's about to go, or Okada's about, and we're going to be talking about the pay-per-view this Sunday, uh, and Long Beach is going to be with fellow Chaos member um, Ishi, or not Ishii, uh, yeah, yeah, Ishii uh, going against uh, Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. So I don't know if we're going to get some more evolution of the storyline um if if this is going to be two separate parts or eventually okada is going to be nixed from chaos uh either way 
like I said, awesome storytelling. And I love that New Japan keeps it with these factions. It's something that doesn't happen a lot. Uh, it was out of nowhere. Uh, Jay White has upped his game a shit ton as being one of the top heels. I would say after Tanahashi, Naito, Omega, and Okada, he's probably right next, if not Ishii, maybe Ibushi. I would say just he, his stock has raised a lot in the last couple months. He's really grown into this character of the Switchblade. He's really good at being a villain. Even though uh, Jim Ross completely took his apology and everything and puts him over every week on his podcast, uh, you know, that whole thing with him knocking over JR and breaking his ribs, I think definitely helped out. Very similar, Chris, to Sammy Callahan accidentally hitting um, Eddie Edwards in the face with a baseball bat. Uh, it's a level of realism that pisses off the fans in a realistic way, like you can't do your job. So, you know, all this type of stuff, him screwing up chaos, screwing over Okada, knocking over JR. Is Jay White becoming one of the premier heels with Tommaso Ciampa, you know, a Miz, uh, a Sammy Callahan within the industry of professional wrestling? Well, to answer your question on that, I think as far as New Japan's concerned, I, he's definitely going to be a big-time heel, specifically going against Okada. So if, if, if Okada's own faction is turning their back on him and considering him a loser, um, I think the storyline of him rebuilding himself back up to the top Maybe it takes until the next G1 or whatever they're going to do with him. Okada's going to continuously give you good matches. It also gives him a little break from these 30 to 60 minute matches that he's kind of been having for, God, a year and a half up until he lost the title. I, I, it's a really cool storyline. I think Jay, Wyatt's, uh, or Jay White is doing a great job as far as his role goes and, and will continue to do so. Uh, I, I, I personally hope that this is kind of the end of chaos and a new beginning of Okada and, and a rebuild to get towards, you know, back to the title and, and maybe even back to him versus Omega or him versus Tanahashi. Um, it's going to be interesting because usually if you fall out of a faction, you fall into a new faction in New Japan. That's kind of just how it works because of the way they like doing their three three-way tag matches, <clears throat> at least since I've been watching over the past two or three years. So it's interesting. Um, you know, I had the idea of maybe Okada joining the Bullet Club at one point in time and kind of taking that over. But I, I don't see that happening. I see him, especially with where they're going with Omega maybe turning heel, you could have a redemption story of Okada kind of being the Japanese hero in the situation and kind of changing up his personality a bit. Um, interesting stuff all around. I, I don't know where they're going to go with it, but it's exciting. And I, I think it makes sense for him to exodus. Uh, chaos for a while and maybe even you know get get some offense on on Gato because <laughs> it's been it, it's it would be great to see Gato take a rainmaker after kind of basically shitting on Okada after the you know everything that he's done and carrying the title for as long as he did to be called a loser there's going to be some animosity there so I do think it's kind of his exodus from the group it's going to be interesting how things line up after that yeah, I, I completely agree with everything that you said. And the only way I'd want to see some type of Bullet Club thing is if they do this. And I know people would probably be pissed because they'd probably say that Cody's next in line. Okay, if regardless if it's all as one unit, which is what they promote between Kenny, you know, the Bucks, Omega, Page, Skrull, with, if we go to WWE, it will be all of us or none of us. All right, I, I, I want to believe that, but I know that WWE wants – they want the Young Bucks and they want fucking Kenny Omega. 
if they offer him something that he can't refuse, which happens, I know that Kenny's probably not going to go to WWE, but if that were to happen, especially this year or next year, then Okada joining the Bullet Club and being the guy that inevitably kicks Kenny Omega out, just like he did to AJ and AJ did to Finn, I think would actually be pretty awesome if he took the leadership of Bullet Club. If not, just keep him singles, man. He works great by himself. He's got a lot of, you know, work qualities uh, within the ring and, and, and just great, like I said, of Ric Flair, Nick Bockwinkle, and he's got a lot of personality traits of, of, of Bockwinkle, The Rock. You know, he's a great wrestler. He's one of my favorites, and we'll get down to how much of a favorite he is to both of our lists later on the show. But that still, it's like if Kenny's going to leave, I think Okada knocking him off and not over Cody, actually, I think would be fucking awesome. Uh, Any last statements before we move on? Yeah, and, like, the clarification on the Bullet Club stuff for me was more when they were clearly pushing Omega as a face where he's just the guy who couldn't get the job done against Okada. Um, you had Cody kind of in the, in the realm of taking over the group, the Bullet Club. I think that would have been the time to do, you know, Gato and Okada entering the Bullet Club and maybe Chaos dissolving if you were going to go a heel Okada. I, I do think, personally, that they're leaning towards him kind of being a lone ranger in the situation for a while, which will be interesting. The only other person... I can't really think of a person that's done that recently in New Japan um, as far as, you know, top, the top tier of New Japan. So it's it's interesting. It's going to be – Okada is one of my favorites. We'll talk about that later, as you said. But it, it would be great to see him battle his way through all of these different factions to get back to the top. So I kind of look forward to that. Um, and I think the personality change for him will be great too. He's been kind of humbled. He, you know, he's he, he's still the rainmaker, but more of a humbled version. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. Yep. All right. So I'm gonna assume that we won't have enough time to talk about this stuff by going over our SmackDown. So really quickly, last few fifteen minutes, I got two more. Uh, you know, I just wanted to ask you because of wrestling, Chris. This question, we don't really need anything to go into it. What happened in Milwaukee? In in what way? I guess you prefaced it a little bit for me. With with Lana, you know, Aiden English saying that he has footage of something that happened in, in Milwaukee. What did Lana do behind Rusev Day's back in Milwaukee? That's the question. I, I don't know, but I, I guess I'm assuming that we'll find out on the next episode of Total Divas. Yeah! Great promo. Good job. Good job. They'll be happy, and they'll send the checks in the mail for that one. Um, but uh, either way, funny uh, segment. Uh, I like what they're doing and how Aiden English is turning into a pretty good heel. So it's uh, he's got something. I'm sure it's going to be like him and Lana go in a hotel room, and then she gets other footage like, no, we didn't do anything. He's an idiot. I don't know. It's very Attitude Era, but I liked a lot of the stuff that happened on SmackDown. Becky beating the crap out of Charlotte. You know, the ending where Samoa Joe was definitely not AJ Styles' house, but they put that decal on there, so it was uh, it was good for the episode, you know, doing the home invasion shit and just cutting out. Um, I, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun episode, and uh, I like Truth TV. I actually think, Chris, um, real quick, everyone's wondering who Randy Orton's next uh, victim is going to be. 
And he beat the shit out of Ty Dillinger and said, no, I, he's not my next victim. I just can't stand the uh, perfect 10 thing, which is pretty funny. Um, so Randy's going after someone. It's probably going to be a legend. My guess, it might be our truth They've been building him up. They had him have a win against the Miz. He keeps on having these high-profile matches. You know, he main evented. And I think that him and Randy would probably have some great matches. There doesn't seem like a lot of places to put Randy Orton against since Brian's doing something, AJ's doing something. Um, unless they bring John Cena back, and I kind of find that boring. So I'd love to see our truth get more of a push and to be more spotlight. He's an incredible wrestler and uh, kind of gets uh, – he takes a back seat a lot of times. But uh, do you have any other statements about Raw SmackDown before we move on? No, I mean, like I said last week, I think the inevitable situation for Randy Orton is going to be Tim versus AJ Styles, with AJ Styles being kind of a living legend um, I don't know how they build there, but I'm assuming Joe's going to end up getting the title because Randy is going to screw over AJ, shifting the focus, and then that be your feud. Or Joe losing, and, you know, they do something else with Joe, and it's Randy versus AJ for the title, which seems kind of boring. So my guess is, you know, the belt will get put on Joe because that'll open up more feuds down the line, and then you get AJ versus Randy Orton, which I guess they've kind of done and hinted at in the past, but a full program would make sense. That, w- that would be kind of my guess. Well, it could be. Uh, all I have to say is a lot of stuff on SmackDown, at least, intrigued me. Some of the stuff on that match between the Revival and Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler I thought was a really fun fucking tag team match. And it was probably, within the Raw and SmackDown, arguably the best match between the two shows. But And I also like, just real quick, too, I liked the fact that even though I think it's ridiculous what Drake Maverick, a.k.a. Rockstar Spud, is wearing, the fact that he was on Edge and Christian explained that besides being a wrestler and being inspired by Spike Dudley, he's always loved Bobby the Brain Heenan and loved to be a heel manager with a big faction. Um, I liked him with AOP and being their, 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 their talking person. I think it's a weird that he's a baby face two nights, or the next night on uh, 205 Live, so they need to round that out. But why the fuck is he wearing that outfit? It looks ridiculous. Just put him in a fucking suit. Uh, and I also like Leo Rush helping out Bobby Lashley, although then he's a heel after being a babyface the next night on 205 Live. But either way, some of these uh, some of these ideas I think are good. You know, it's giving a lot of guys work, so I appreciate that. Uh, that's it. That That's all I have to say about Ron SmackDown. Let's move on to uh, the pay-per-view, Chris, and talk about uh, Long Beach this Sunday. Uh, we got a big old event. It is called uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed uh, at Long Beach, California. I will say, start off this, they have a bunch of stuff in the States over in Long Beach, uh, you know, scheduled. I kind of, I wouldn't do that as much. I understand the market of being able to put on shows and the fact that they'll sell out and everything. But eventually, it's not going to be as much of a, uh, you know, it's special, if you will especially if you're doing the same place. If you're going to move around, that's one thing, but it's going to lose its novelty is what I was looking for um, if if you just keep on happening. But either way, I can't complain because it's a New Japan event. And Jim Ross and Kevin Kelly, uh, Kevin Kelly is one of my favorite announcers today when it comes to play-by-play, and Jim Ross is one of my favorite. Of, actually, he's my favorite of all time. Um, so this should be a good event. It's going to be Sunday night. I think you can get it in New Japan on their app live then. Um, and then it will be a week later, I believe, on Access TV. So let's get into the uh, matches. You know, the, of course, 
start off, there's a bunch of uh, tag matches. First one having uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, um, Taguchi, and ACH against Rock Romero and Rapongi 3K, Sho and Yo. Um, so I guess we'll we'll do, you know, our our what we think of the matches and then our prediction on who's going to win. This should be a great tag match. I mean, it's got, I mean, Jushin Liger's in it and Taguchi. They're they're, they're two great legends. I like ACH a lot too. And I mean, I, I don't know how you can really not be happy with this. I don't think it's going to be that ridiculous of a match or anything like that, but it'll still be a lot of fun. And I probably see, since they've kind of made him lose the last couple of times, um, I think Jushin Liger is going to get a win this time. So, uh, Chris, what do you think about that match? I tend to agree with you. I think it's a good time to give Justin Liger a win. Um, it's also just an opening match. I think it's a fun opening match. You get you get a, a legend. You get uh, Rapunga 3K in there. I think I just think it'll be a fun match. Don't have high expectations for it, but it's always fun to see Justin Thunderlager. He was a childhood hero of mine. The first time I saw him, I was like, oh my goodness, this guy is a superhero, basically. So I'm always glad when I see him um, to this day. So, you know, I guess the inner fan in me is, is cheering for Justin Thunderlager to get a win here. Absolutely. Just a lot of talent all around. And, I mean, ACH, another guy that doesn't get a lot of, uh, you know, credit. I remember seeing ACH and Kenny Omega actually for the first time before I was watching wrestling again in a video where they impersonated the rock and stone cold. And it was, it was fucking just fun as shit. So, um, all those guys going to be cool. Next one, Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels of SoCal Uncensored are going against bullet club members, uh, hangman page and chase Owens, who I will admit, uh, at one point in time, I thought were the same person. Uh, uh, now, obviously, I think, at least with Hangman Page, he showed a lot more personality. But, uh, yeah, apparently I get Hangman Page mixed up with other Bullet Club members like Chase Owens and Stephen Amell. Either way, this is going to be a fun match. Um, I think SoCal's going to get this. The only reason I think that is because even though Hangman Page's stock is high, Chase Owens usually is, I'm not going to say a jobber, because that's just rude, but, I mean, just the writing's on the wall. I mean, I, I'm going to go with the two guys that are heels that will do some shit to be able to win against Hangman Page and Chase Owens. Chris, do you see it a different way? No, I, I'm kind of leaning towards Kazarian and Christopher Daniels as well. I think it'll be a very good match. Um, like Christopher Daniels and Kazarian are a great tag team. So that the whole group has just been really, really fun to watch them develop. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just see them beating Bullet Club mostly because, like you said, Chase Owens is there, probably the weakest league in, in taking the ball. Um, and also just because this is in America and, Frank, like, Kazarian and Daniels are, are probably more known than Chase Owens. This might be one of the few here's your American win matches. You know what I mean? So it's kind of where I'm going with that one. I I, I get what you're saying. I, I, I sing what you're slinging. I just made that up. <laughs> Dang it. All right. Next match, Flip Gordon. Ugh. Chris Saban and Jeff Cobb, so I love the tail end of that, uh, versus Chucky T, Beretta, and Hiroki Goto. Um, man, a lot of talent in this, too. I'm going to go with Flip Gordon, Chris Saban, and Jeff Cobb. I, Jeff Cobb is on fire right now. He's one of the top guys, I think, in the Indies. Chris Saban's a legend. Um, and 
Oh, it's a Flip Gordon. I'm sorry. I love Flip Gordon. I, I got to mix up with Cheeseburger for some reason. Yeah, I'm definitely going with Flip Gordon, Chris Saban, and Jeff Cobb. Chris, what do you think? I'm going opposite. I'm going to get a Chucky T. Beretta and a Heroku go to on this one. I just think Boo! he'll win. <laughs> but uh, I think it'll be a decent match. It's it's always fun to see Chris Saban uh, in the ring. He's, uh, obviously, one half of one of my favorite tag teams of all time. So I always look forward to seeing him work. So this will be an exciting match. Man, very underrated, I think. All right, Suzuki Gun, Zack Sabre Jr., and the Killer Elite Squad, Davey Boy Smith Jr., and Lance Archer. I also want to just point out, I love that Zack Sabre Jr. and Davey Boy, uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr., when they're on uh, World of Sport, they're both baby faces as shit. And they usually are in, in, in uh, England, but they're, they play such great, dominant heels as a part of Suzuki Gun. So kudos to them. Lance Archer, quit spitting on people, but don't punch me in the face either, because that would hurt. Uh, against Los Incorobanables de Capón, Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, and Evil. God, this should be a hard-hitting, fun fucking match. I could definitely see Suzuki Gun winning, but I'm going to give it to LIJ. What do you think? Uh, I'm also going to give it to LIJ. I just don't see NATO taking a loss here. He's kind of been taking a few recently. Um, so I think that's a good way for them to get back. There, there was a little bit, they started to seem like they were feuding, but I think they've kind of squashed that. I, I see NATO probably picking up the win, either him or Evil getting the pin. Yep. All right, so then we have uh, Kushida and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, going against Gato and Jay White. I'm going to assume Gato and Jay White win this, uh, doing something heelish. Uh, there's a good chance that Okada could get involved in this, you know, because even though him and Tanahashi have always obviously had a rivalry, he has a, a, mount, or a ridiculous amount of respect for him uh, in kayfabe, as well as outside of that. Um, but, yeah, I think that this is going to be something that Jay White does, and he, he gets a, a, a win over Tanahashi, tries to beat the crap out of him, Maybe Gato takes out Kushida, and then Okada, of all people, runs out and beats the crap out of Jay White. Um, or maybe, maybe Omega comes out and screws over Tanahashi. I don't know. They booked this shit really fucking well. Good job, Gato. Who do you, who do you think's going to win this match? God, I mean, I really want to say Jay White and Jay White and Kato, but I'm just going to go Kushida and Kushida and Tanahashi just because Gato is in a match. So I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, not anything against Kato or anything. I just I don't know that he'd book himself to go over. So I, I think this will be kind of a screwy match. Um, probably fun, but a screwy match. Uh, so I, I, maybe just a. I, this could just be a DQ match, honestly. Which I know they don't do those a lot, but I, I think you could get one here. I, that would be cool, and I agree with you that they don't normally do it. But with you know, given Omega and Okada having problems with both sides, there could be something like that that goes down. Um, if 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 it was Tiger Hattori instead of Gato, would that like help out your situation on on uh, them winning? Probably, <laughs> probably. I would probably lean more to just because of the way they're booking Jay. Oh, my God. Tiger Tori, I think, is as blind as Bill Cosby, for Christ's sake. Jesus. All right. <laughs> okay, so you only get one. Um, IWC Junior Heavyweight Champion Tournament, first round match. Uh, the first part, they'll inevitably end up getting our new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. 
but this match will be uh, Will Ospreay versus Marty Skrull. And I know that no matter if he wins or loses, the loser will be Will Ospreay's body. Um, God damn. Uh, I actually, God, I'm really torn on this. I want Marty to have some gold, man. But I like the fact that he's trying to work up outside of the light heavyweight. So maybe that actually happens and Will Ospreay has some redemption story to take him again to junior heavyweight. I just know that given that it's going to be Bushi and, um, and uh, oh, man, um, it's Bushi and why the hell can I think of the person that he's going against? Um, oh, Kushida. Yeah, Bushi and Kushida. I'm pretty sure Kushida is going to win. Will Ospreay and Kushida have great matches. I would prefer Marty, but I think I'm going to go with Will Ospreay. That took forever, but Chris, who do you think is going to win that match? So I guess I, I, the, my thing about this is I don't know, is this going to be a winner's loser bracket? So, like, if someone loses, are they going to go down and face the next loser and then your finals are kind of the winner of the winner's bracket and the loser of the loser's bracket? Um, I think it's just a straight advance. So if it's a straight advance, I would say Will Osprey probably going to win here. And then I, I, as much as I like Bushi, I just think it's probably going to end up be Kushida versus uh, Will Osprey in the final. So that, that's my prediction on that. Does Osprey go all the way and win it? Probably. It would be really nice to see Kashida get 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 the belt again, but um, probably Osprey going all the way, and then setting up with him and you know him and Scroll have feuded quite a few times, so I can see them building that back up if, if they wanted to go that route. Absolutely, I, that's probably exactly the same thing I think is going to happen. All right, another awesome match on this card, uh, IWGP Tag Team Championship match. The Young Bucks, Nick and Matt Jackson, the champions, are going against Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga, and Tonga Lo. And guess what? They're losing those motherfucking titles! Because, look, Gorillas of Destiny have done a lot of fuckery within G1, but they haven't really exactly put, like, that much of a sting. So I think this would be perfect for them to take the titles off of them. The Bucks have won every fucking... They've won the light tag. I, I know it's the first time with, with the heavyweight tag, but I think they're the current Ring of Honor tag champions and triple champions with Cody. I think they could deal with the loss, and I think that Tom Matanga and Tongalo, who are one of my favorite tag teams, along with the Young Bucks, um, I think they get it, and I think that's a fuck you to Kenny and all them, the elite. Uh, what do you think, Chris? Uh, I tend to agree with you. I think that Tim has kind of been on fire with some of his promos, uh, the suspension from New Japan. I feel like they're building him in, erection, uh, in the correct direction to be a top heel when we were talking about top heels earlier, I kind of see him more heelish than Jay White as far as, I guess as far as the American audience is concerned, and even the New Japan audience to some extent. He is slapping fans and uh, not participating in the G1, which is very disrespectful in general. So I, I could see them picking up the titles here as a thorn in the Bullet Club side, um, maybe setting up to a match against the Golden Lovers. Who knows? It, it's fun stuff, though. That would be awesome, because I would love to see the Golden Lovers with those title belts. All right, next match, the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship match. Juice Robinson, who is incredibly influenced by Dusty Rhodes and also was taught uh, while he was over at the um, Performance Center by Dusty on obviously a lot of stuff. 
so he's talked at length a lot about it. He's going against Dusty's son, the NWA champion, Cody, who has risen so much, I think, just his stock and just his wrestling skills, obviously his mic skills and just everything within a year. I also love Juice. I think it's going to be a fun match. I think Juice is going to go over. I don't know, because that would kind of give him reason to have, uh, to challenge Cody for the NWA title. And Cody, by the way, I was listening to um, JR, uh, Jim Ross' podcast. Cody has said that basically he's allowed to take that title wherever. Obviously, everything's going to clear with Billy, but uh, Ring of Honor is okay with him, you know, messing around with it. So if Juice Robinson went against him, it would probably be outside of New Japan, but that possibility is still there, if you will. He's got to fight Nick Aldis for the title also uh, at the 70th anniversary show, which should be awesome. It's going to have uh, Jim Cornette uh, do the uh, announcing the whole entire time, and Tony's uh, going to be – Tony Schiavone's coming in for the last two matches with him, uh, which is cool as shit. Uh, 70th, 70th anniversary for the NWA title. Um, so I, I, it's got to be Cody. But if it's for the title, that's so weird. It's a very, very weird thing. Chris. I, I'm, I'm pulling towards Cody because, like I said, there's you know you don't want to weaken weaken your NWA champion before he goes against um, Nick Aldis at the 70th. That would make me really think that Nick's going to beat him. Um, I don't think he's going to get Willie Mack yet, which is another one that's on his schedule. Um, and you know, I, I just think that I don't know. But then, does he get the friggin' U.S. title for New Japan too? I'm going to let you actually speculate while I try to really think in on this, because this is actually hurting my brain. I, I, with Juice Robinson's run recently, I think Juice Robinson probably retains here. I don't think that they see a need to put it on Cody, and Cody's doing so much outside of New Japan. I don't know that they necessarily want to saddle him with it, unless they're just trying to piggyback off the fact that he won the NWA title, which, I mean, is plausible. It's just a, it's like, it's kind of a weird scenario, but I, I, for some reason, I just feel like you know, Juice Robinson maybe retains, and maybe they even go time limit draw. They do a thirty-minute match here and do a time limit draw, and leave it at that. Because New Japan, unlike WWE, has an out for situations like this that doesn't have to end in fuckery. It could just end in the time limit draw. Neither person loses. Both people have a, a, a good match and look strong. So they could just go that route. It's very true. Maybe they can do a dusty finish, baby. You know. Um, <laughs> If you will. They're going Broadway, uh, they're going if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it went out Broadway, if you will. With Billy Graham. All right. Uh, the Golden Lovers, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, are going against, like I said, Kazuchika Okada and Tom- Tomohiro Ishii. This should be a fucking awesome match. But because of how it is with Okada and him kind of being on a little bit of a downward spiral, I think the Golden Lovers are going to win this match, and this probably is going to be the match of the night. I would I would suspect. Good chance Will Ospreay and Marty Skrull could steal that. Uh, not only that, the IW... There's a lot of great ones on this card, but I think this one's going to be the best match. Chris, what do you think for the main event? I do think this will probably be the best match of the night, um, but I will go on a limb and say I think Okada and Ishii are going to win, and it's going to further put a wedge in between Ibushi and Omega coming out of G1. Uh, because they went against each other in G1, if you recall, and things did not end so 
necessarily so well. So maybe, you know, this is a good time to get Okada back on track and start his kind of ascend versus, you know, because he's like, it's not like this sets up a match versus either Omega and Kurobushi. This is just a headline match. If Omega loses and it sets up a feud with him and Kota in some sorts, or you start seeing it falling apart, I don't think the crowd would be that upset. So I'm going to go Okada and Ishii. Now, do you think that to any level that if um, Ishii and and uh, and Okada do win, that there is a splinter now in chaos, and instead of Okada versus chaos, you know, it's going to be Okada, Ishii, possibly Goto, obviously Rocky Romero against the other members, Jay White, Gato, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think it could go either way because you could just you could end this match with Golden Lovers having some fuckery and then Okada getting jumped by Ishii. There's tons of different finishes you can do with this. And, and then once again, this is to them this is just a one-off American show in the way I see it as far as storylines go. So you know, as good as New Japan is, they don't carry every storyline into every match. So this could just be a one-off match. They're giving Okada a win here. It's going to be one storyline or the other. And I could see the you know them splitting chaos into two different factions like they have done the Bullet Club. I would prefer them not to do that um, because they just did it with the Bullet Club and kind of resolved itself or whatever. But yeah, that's def. I mean, it's plausible. You definitely point to what the Bullet Club just did with you know Nick and Matt versus Gold Lovers and Scroll kind of siding with Cody and all of that stuff. You could you could point to that and go, eh, they could just do the same thing with Chaos, which they might do, but it still is kind of lazy. And I, I, if they're going to do it, I don't know. No, I agree with you, and I would actually prefer them not to do that. Uh, it's either Okada versus them all, or I don't really want a splinter of, of faction. It just seems – I kind of want, like you said, like they have a great match, and Ishii just turns on them. And then Gato comes out, Jay White comes out, and they just beat the crap out of Okada. Maybe, as just just hinting, maybe maybe nothing actually happens from it. Obushi and Omega actually come out for the save to help out Okada. I mean, they could do that, especially American audience. I think Omega and Okada are the two biggest New Japan guys, I would assume, with the American audience. So for that type of rub, I could see something like that happening. All right, well. Yeah, um, and, I mean, the, the, other thing, the other thing that always sticks out like a sore thumb is, is it do you send the fans home happy? Because if you're sending the fans home happy, then Omega and Abushi win. It just depends on if they give a fuck about that or not. So is this a send them home happy match or is it we're going to do a New Japan pay-per-view match? Because I think those two things are very different <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yep. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that's Fighting Spirit Unleashed. Uh, like I said, check it out this Sunday. Uh, I think it's for us East Coasters. I think it believes it starts at 8. So I'm probably going to watch it live. I might actually do, um, you know, since I haven't tried them out, try out their services online to be able to check it out, you know, go through their library, all the old stuff. Pretty awesome. All I got to say is to anyone out there that's a newer listener or, you, you know, uh, to us and also just like of wrestling, someone that's like more into modern stuff, check out some of the past. You can find some amazing stories told in the past. So, yeah, now that I sound like a 90-year-old, uh, you know, grandfather, let's go over, Chris. We did this last year, I think. Maybe a little bit before, maybe a little bit after, but we went over our top ten um, favorite wrestlers in WWE and our favorite 
uh, top 10 outside of it, personal favorites. So however we build it is however we build it. The guys that get our rocks off the most. That sounded wrong. Um, and then also we went over our, our top five female wrestlers, non-WWE and within WWE. So let's do this again, Chris. Um, I'm just going to throw out there that kind of thought about it. Um, we didn't really think about the tag team aspect. So we're going to do a top 10 tag team in WWE and outside of it. At some point, I'm pretty sure Chris's favorites uh, are the Young Bucks and the Usos uh, are probably bordering with my favorites in WWE because it's the same thing. Mine's New Day. Very, very close second would be the Usos. And then obviously the Bucks would be number one. The Bucks of fuck. But uh, right now, I think let's just try to think of like the best way to do this, Chris. Uh, let's start off with our WWE and go to non-WWE afterwards. Um, and I guess we'll do two at a time. So nine and eight, or ten and eight, then you'll do ten and eight. I'll do eight and seven, you'll do eight and seven, and then we'll go six down just individually. Uh, stating, because I, I gave us plenty of time to be able to go over this, you know, uh, details of why exactly they're on our list. So let me start off things um, and say that my number 10 was a really hard choice because I had two guys that were close. Um, but I think Chris made me make my decision beforehand by bringing up a good point. It was between Pete Dunn and The Miz. The Miz is one of the best heels. His in-ring work is not the greatest. Pete Dunne, I think, is one of the best, like, personalities when it comes to a hard-ass, very, you know, I guess, Stone Cold, Chris Demois, that same type of Samoa Joe, that same type of presence of, like, I will fuck you up. Don't even look at me wrong. And that's awesome. But he's not in the WWE product, I think, enough. And I know he just had a great match against Ricochet. Um, but I think The Miz is going to be 10 for me. So... I love The Miz. Uh, it's funny how he plays a baby face on his uh, fake reality TV show, but I really enjoy Miz and Mrs. as well. They just screw up those cakes. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, great heel. All the stuff with Daniel Bryan. Great. He just understands the classic heel mentality. If his, if his in-ring game was, you know, on a different level, like if he had – all right, I'll say this. If he was as skilled in the ring as Dolph Ziggler, who's actually one of his best friends – I would say that he's someone that you can completely compare to Ric Flair. Uh, I think that Rick would be better in ring. Miz is a damn good person on the mic. Now, just two of them, it's it's a harder comparison because, like I said, uh, that's the Miz's one thing that he's he's gotten way better on, but his in ring ability is a little bit not up to par. So he's ten. Uh, my nine, also someone that in ring ability is good. The Velveteen Dream. I've been huge on the Velveteen Dream. Uh, one thing I'm kind of doing this like. Uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated with their top 100 where I'm considering all the things. Their their wins, their losses, why I like them so much. And he was going to be on my list, but he's nine because even though he's had great matches, he usually loses them. Uh, he beat Cassie Asono, and he beat uh, Johnny Gargano. But he is such a rising star at 23. I think the Velveteen Dream is like we've said, he's, he's, I think he could beat the next generation's rock. I know that Rock's much more macho machismo uh, masculine. He's definitely the opposite end of that spectrum, much more androgynous. But he, there's something about him. There's that level of, of just he's great at selling. 
everything he's good in the ring and stuff that he's not too good, he's got so much more years to, to, to get better. And he's completely made by them. The Prince Macho Man-esque character combination, a little bit of Rick Rude. I just, I really am big on the dream. It just, I mean, he has a pretty decent losing streak as well. And uh, there are stuff sometimes where it's noticeable that he's younger and he needs to get a little bit better in the ring. But, uh, yeah, Miz at 10, uh, the Velveteen Dream at 9. Chris, who do you got for 10 tonight? So for number 10, I have Johnny Gargano. And uh, it's not anything against Johnny Gargano. I think he's a great worker. I think there's a lot of people who are a little bit more personable, I think that, you know, the feud that he had with Ciampa goes a long way, but it was just a really well-booked feud, and Ciampa is playing one hell of a heel. So Gargano falls to 10. Once again, great worker. I think he has a personality. He it hasn't really shined yet, and just, you know, him kind of stooping to the level of Ciampa and then playing that storyline hasn't really done much for me. I would like to see him get the title, but uh, he's right now he's sitting at my number 10. Doesn't mean that he's bad or anything. There's a lot of damn good wrestlers in WWE. No one get upset. This thing can be ordered any which way if we really think about it. So um, right now Gargano's at 10. And at number nine, I have Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens, the only reason he's at number nine is because he has lost more on TV than anyone else on the roster. Legitimately. Go back and look at the record. He has lost more on TV this year than anyone else on the roster. So from that standpoint, um, that's bad. But that's booking. As far as the way he's carried storylines, um, making matches intriguing, having good matches with people that you really probably shouldn't have good matches with, as always. And just, you know, the carryover of him being one of my favorites back to the day of, you know, Kevin Steen and Ring of Honor. He makes the list at number nine. I like it. Um, I'm going to admit that if you're mad at Chris for having Johnny Gargano at 10, I don't got fucking Gargano anywhere. I used to love him. And it's not his fault. He's still one of the best wrestlers, but he's getting on my fucking nerves a little bit. I've watched NXT consistently. His loss to Velveteen Dream wasn't good. Uh, you know, the borderline between am I or am I not, it's just I'm, I'm kind of getting over it. Uh, his opposite has jumped up to me, uh, Tommaso Ciampa. Um, but, yeah, um, I love Johnny Gargano, but he would be on this list probably a couple months ago, and just it's it getting stale. Um, it would be all right if he was still the King Babyface, you know, this rookie steamboat type person, but he's just, he's gotten wishy-washy and, uh, I need to see, I need to see a little bit of change instead of like, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to screw you guys over in my face, like, but I'm going to go crazy. Like, I'm just, I'm just done with it. I'm just being honest. But, uh, number eight for me, Finn Balor. Finn Balor's one of my favorites. They are very inconsistent with him. He had a great match against AG, AJ Styles as a demon impromptu and saved the uh, pay-per-view last year uh, when everyone, Bray Wyatt included, um, and Roman Reigns got sick. Um, I mean, he's an incredible wrestler. I love the demon aspect. Um, I just, the smiles and just the lack of creativity puts some lower on my list than he probably would be. Um, so, yeah, he's at eight. Uh, number seven is Kevin Owens. Love Kevin Owens, uh, very similar to Finn Balor, and what Chris was saying. I just they've been consistent with his character. He's he was awesome. I mean, the year that there was the Festival of Friendship, um, and even though technically I think he was a little bit of a transitional champ to get it back on Lesnar, which is whatever. Um, he still was the champ for a while with the Universal Champion, 
even though he kind of got it because Finn Balor couldn't. But whatever. You know, he still won his match. I love Kevin Owens. I think he's a great heel. And uh, I hope they, you know, I've been watching a lot of uh, NXT. I think it's like the, the season where Kevin Owens and Finn Balor are so prominent on. And it really is kind of just baffling of just, I don't know what they've done with them. Uh, but then again, he, he headbutted Vince McMahon and split him open. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, threw Shane off of, or whatever the hell happened. Shane went through the damn. Shane's crazy. He's not on the list. Uh, but back to you. What is your eight and seven, Chris? So my number eight is Jeff Hardy, mostly because if I don't put him on this list in some capacity, my wife will kill me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Jeff Hardy's still great. He's still the charismatic enigma. When he comes out, he's got a huge pop. I think they haven't really booked him that well. I liked his feud with Randy Orton. I think if you give him some wins, you can give him one more run, especially if they put the title on Orton. Uh, which I think is a possibility with either him going uh, with if AJ retains, I think there's a possibility the title gets on the word and maybe you build back to uh Jeff versus Orton. Um, but yeah, he's, he's up there. He's a, uh, he's one of my all time favorite wrestlers. He's definitely in the top, I don't know, let's say 30. Cause I don't know where to position him right now off the top of my head, but uh, I think he deserves to make this list. I think he's had some, some good matches and he's still probably the biggest baby face they have as far as a pure white meat baby face goes. Jeff Hardy's music hits. It doesn't matter who you are. You like it. it all the shit aside from the different companies and the demons of his past, when his music hits, there's some childhood nostalgia that floods in and, and you just like it. And you just want to see him succeed. And even when he gets his ass kicked, you're still rooting for him. And so he's just For me, he has something that a lot of other wrestlers doesn't have. It's just a natural presence and charisma that's very, very hard to duplicate. Um, much like a Daniel Bryan, who I think just has a lot of lot of charisma like that, uh, where it's just a natural thing that the fans connect with. So he makes my list at eight. The Miz makes my list at seven. He could have easily went higher or lower. Um, it, more of it just being that he hasn't done as much lately. They kind of stuck him in a storyline with Daniel Bryan, but then pivoted it around uh, Total Bellas and, and Total Divas, which I don't give two shits about two TV shows. Uh, and you could say it's not pivoted around that if you want, but they just basically had an intergender tag match, which was you know based around whose relationship was better, which immediately makes me not like it as much. I think Miz and Marisa in that situation, I think Miz consistently is the best heel that they have and does a great job of getting the fans to turn against him. And, you know, he doesn't have the best matches, but he doesn't have bad matches. That's the thing I'll say about the Miz. If you put him in the ring with someone who knows what they're doing, he will have a good match. He will give you a good match. Outside of that intergender tag match, there's not much he can do there, obviously. The same thing as his WrestleMania match with Cena and uh, Nikki. Like, there, there's only so much you're going to do there, right? So, uh, Outside of that, like, I can't think of a bad match that Miz has had. I, I think it's something we're just like, eh, but not, not a bad match. So that's my number seven is the Miz. Like I said, I think he could have went higher given a better storyline, and maybe he'll get there by the end of the year, but right now he's at my number seven. Now I feel bad because I completely forgot about Jeff Hardy. Uh, oh, I, he's, he's an honorable mention member for sure, and I think that definitely one thing, Jeff, in a lot of ways, uh, he's kind of like Mick in the sense, and Terry, in the sense that, you know, he puts his body on the line, he'll do whatever. It's kind of scary to an extent sometimes, 
like when he puts his face through a fucking table by climbing to the top of the cell. But he could have gone off the cell through the table, so there's always that. Uh, but I love Jeff Hardy. He's one of my favorites for sure, but didn't make my list, unfortunately. Uh, number six is Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan, the losses kind of, you know, hinder him a bit, I would say, uh, in the program with uh, Big Cass. And the fact that I've watched a lot of his matches makes me realize how great of a wrestler he is. But it's also him proving it himself by bringing people like Big Cass to a decent match. And also the match that he had on Raw where it was, I forgot what the hell the style match was, but he lasted Samoa Joe and Big E and then the greatest Royal Rumble getting all the way to the end. And I believe getting eliminated by Braun Strowman, the winner, but just seeing his chest the way it is, and he just gives it everything. And he's amazing on the mic. He's, you really believe him. And I think he's, he believes himself half the time, but yeah, some of the losses are definitely going to take Daniel Bryan down, um, not to where he could be higher. As of right now, he's at number six for me. Chris, what do you got? Number six for me. And if you guys have made it through the list thus far, Daniel Bryan has not made my list. He's an honorable mention, but he is not on this list. So if you're hoping that Chris Patton is going to throw out Daniel Bryan on his list, he's not on it. Reason being is I don't think that we have the same Daniel Bryan we had when he left. I don't think that he's had one standout match since he's been back and he got booked with one of the best heels in the business, which is the Miz. And I think that, you know, the Miz carried the storyline through that promo that he cut almost a year and a half ago. Um, Daniel Bryan can prove me wrong. He's a great wrestler. I'm not saying he's not. He was one of my favorites when he left. So I think he could easily crack this list. But if I'm going top 10 right now, he's not on. So I'm just putting that out there so we can get through the rest of this list. My number six is Velveteen Dream. I think the guy's an absolute rock star. I think that the sky's the limit. I think the past seven matches I've seen, six or seven matches of Velveteen Dream have all been good. Um, even when he's working against a po- uh, opponent like Aleister Black, he still manages to put on one hell of a match. Not that Aleister Black is bad or anything. It's just working a completely different style. And I think his adaptability, uh, just kind of his persona in general, is very original, and uh, his in-ring work, especially when he's working with someone like Ricochet, is just phenomenal. Like, uh, you give him the right person, someone like an Adam Cole or a Ricochet or Seth Rollins, I think you're going to get a match almost every time. So, uh, he's high on my list at six. Yeah, he's a badass, man. I love the Velveteen Dream. And you said a name that I want to also mention. Uh, it's it's like me and uh, Chris traded Jeff Hardy for Dan O'Brien, uh, basically. But, hey, this is our opinions. You know, everyone is entitled to them. There's no wrong opinion. And that's how it is. But uh, Alistair Black would definitely be on here if he didn't get injured not too long ago and not been doing anything. And before that, kind of had some underwhelming matches after having a lot of exciting matches back-to-back-to-back. So, there's certain people, John Cena, I would say, when I see him, he's still John Cena, but he's not on the damn thing often enough to make the list. So we're really zoning in on, on who sticks out to us. And, you know, p- opinions are subjective, so hopefully you like them. If not, hey, we have a page about it. You know, we our post for it on uh, Geek Vibes Nation on Facebook. Let us know what your top ten is, and we'll, uh, we'll do some debating. Next person on my list, number five, I think 
could arguably be said as the best heel in the business right now. Uh, his sinister, just everything about him, just what he posted on Twitter, how much he's in character, the fact that he even said that the reason why he's not in the new 2K game is because he asked him not to be a part of it because if anyone's going to play with him, he would have to win every single time. He is doing such great work. I love Tommaso Ciampa. So he is number five every match that I see him in, especially the ones with Johnny Gargano. Uh, he might be actually overperforming than Johnny. I'll just say that. I, I think Johnny is incredible in the ring, but Tommaso's like just right there. Uh, there's stuff about him that reminds me of Triple H. There's stuff about him that reminds me of Jake Snake Roberts. He's just, just a. I, I liked it more when he had the booze. I don't like this new song, especially since it's the exact same start of Taz's theme music with the, the, the heartbeat thing. That's kind of annoying. I liked it when he would just come out and people would boo him and that was his entrance, but that's the only thing I could say. He got the damn title. He put on some amazing matches. I love Tommaso Ciampa. Who do you got for five, Chris? For number five, I got the uh, basically the WWE version of Spider-Man, Rich Shea. Um, and if you go back, I guess almost a year and a half now, he was number three of my top wrestlers in general. <laughs> so I like what they've done with Ricochet. I think he's had some great matches, continuing to build his personality, and, and I hope they get there to where I know that he can be. But right now I have him sitting at number five. I think he'll continue to have some good matches and uh, slowly work his way up this list. But my top, my top five is pretty much all bangers with WWE. Like, they've stacked their roster in a way that's ridiculous. And, and what we're talking about, Ricochet, was in my 10. Originally, I think he fell at three for everything combined. And and that was when he was doing Prince Puma. And uh, I yeah. was really high on the stuff he had done with Johnny Mundo. So he's not really fallen. Let's not say that. I just think that some of these other guys right now in their career are, are doing some really cool stuff. And Ricochet, you could easily sub in for two or three for me. So that, that that's a toss-up. But, yeah, Ricochet is my number five. Yeah, if I were to go into the top performers of right now, I think I would definitely put Ricochet on there. But as far as WWE, the reason why you're not going to hear him on my list is because I think we've seen an amazing chunk of him so far, but it hasn't been, like, enough for me to, like, put him over the next guy on my list, uh, one of his past competitors that put on a great match, Adam Cole, baby. Um, Adam Cole has killed it since he's fucking gotten NXT. Uh, he's been on fire, Undisputed Era, our throwback to DX and NWO and a little bit of Horseman, but they do it so fucking right. All the guys are hilarious. He's especially good on the mic. The chemistry with him and the group is awesome. I think them coming as one unit to the main roster will make him stand out, do, you know, on – even though I think a lot of people are going to like, you know, zone it on his size, great in ring wrestler, uh, that, that super kick to ricochet, fucking awesome. His match against Aleister Black, he doesn't always win, but he did win the, uh, the, the title and he did, you know, he's part of, um, you know, the rotating tag champions doing the free bird rules with tag champions with, uh, O'Reilly and, uh, strong. And I just, every week, it's just a little bit of Jericho, a little bit of, uh, you know, DX Shawn Michaels, a little bit of DDP, just some of my favorite wrestlers' qualities in him. And he's also on Edge of Christian, like, two weeks ago, and he seems like a really fucking cool dude. So I love the boom, love the Adam Cole, baby, the music, the whole thing. Adam Cole, 
number five. Chris. Or was I number five? No, number four. Yeah. I'm okay. sorry. I can't count. Who's your number four? <laughs> My number four is the Blackheart himself, Tomasa Ciampa. I think that he is the best either the best heel or the second best heel in WWE right now. This would probably fall third third on my list as as we go through this thing. But uh Ciampa is just phenomenal. Uh both in ring, his character, his persona, in and out of the ring, the way he holds K Fabe is, is something that should be applauded uh as far as American wrestlers go. So big thumbs up to most to Masa Ciampa. I think he's had some of the best matches. I wish I, I, I hope that they get him further away from Gargano and let him kind of run as the top heel for a while. And that's my only, you know, downside. And it's not that I don't like seeing him in Gargano. It's just you go to the whale too many times, you run out of water. So that, that's my only downside for him. And then I also agree with you with the music. I thought it was kind of a dick move just to have no music at all. So I kind of wish he would go back to that. Um, outside of that, that Ciampa has just been on fire this entire year, and I think well-deserved makes the top five. All right, my next one, number three, is the guy going to his opponent's house and stalking them and being one of the most sinister villains. And, dude, I love Samoa Joe. When I was when I was get, transitioning and getting out of wrestling back in 2005, 2006-ish, I was watching TNA at that point, and him and AJ always stood out the most to me. Um, I think that that's probably for a lot of people that watched it during that era before they got Jeff Hardy and Kurt Angle and everyone. Um, probably Chris Dan- Christopher Daniels, too, and they had some fucking bangers. But Smojo is not only, for a big guy, one of the best fucking wrestlers in the ring, he's one of the best heels, and he's also just one of the best talkers on the mic. You know, he might... He, it's like he, in, in a certain way, obviously his in-ring style is more like a Benoit or like a Taz and stuff like that, MMA-based a lot. Kurt Angle, if you will. That's why they had great chemistry. But in, in a way, his personality is kind of like you take elements of The Rock and you take elements of Stone Cold Steve Austin, like the, like the, the I, you know, don't fuck with me style attitude that he has is second to none right now in the industry, I think, personally. He's my one of my favorite heels, if not, Probably my top, yeah, he's probably my top heel. I mean, Tomas Ciampa would probably be fighting. Um, oh, well, if I'm considering everything in wrestling, I have to rethink it, but love Samoa Joe. He's devastating. He needs a fucking title. Chris, who do you got? Number three, I have Mr. Monday Night, Seth Rollins. And uh, Reason Alone is just his ability to be constantly entertaining no matter what shitty situation they put him in. I'm not a huge fan of the Shield. We've talked about it on the show multiple times, the fact that they decided to latch both him and Dean Ambrose back together, which I don't I don't really think does anything for either of them, um, is unfortunate. But Seth Rollins has continuously put on great match after great match after great match. He's consistently entertaining. I think that he could be a, a great heel or a great face. I thought that he probably should have won at an elimination chamber. I thought that would have been a great way to go as opposed to you know, what eventually ended up being set up. Um, so I think there's more out there for Seth Rollins. I would love to see in the next shakeup, the shield get split up so that they do not fall into this trap of, we need to, we need to put these guys together. Um, I think that's one of probably the worst thing that could happen to him, honestly. Uh, and it happens repeatedly because every time it seems like he gets a good run, 
this happens. Like, they got to put them back together. Um, I get why they're doing it. I don't like it. It is what it is. But uh, hopefully you're going to see a feud based on what we saw in Raw, maybe a feud with him and Dean Ambrose, and, and that sparks light underneath them to maybe go for the title where you see a, you know, Dean and, and Roman hanging out. Maybe Seth is the one that's ousted. So if they go that route, I think it's very interesting. I still think he is one of the best performers, if not the best performer on Raw. I would put him up there, you know, in ring-wise with Kevin Owens because I think they're both yeah, probably side by side as top guys, but uh, Seth Rollins or something about him. He's like I said, he's got natural charisma and he's just damn good every match he has. He he looks crisp. Um, obviously he had some boo boos that we talked about earlier with the buckle bombs, but outside of that, like Seth Rollins is always fucking entertaining. So he he makes my list at number. Seth Seth Rollins, it's been said by many, really is, you know the Shawn Michaels and the concept of he just, he can consistently put on great performances. So he's actually my number two. And, um, I love everything about him. I love him on the mic. I think the, you know, his kind of like macho attitude, but like his sense of humor, he's gotten so much better at knowing his character since they kind of forced him to be healed, which I think he actually did a really good job of. Um, but I think that Seth is just, he's your guy that's like go in there in the ring, much like, we're going to get to my number one. It's kind of, I think, obvious because I haven't named him yet. Very much like him, they're going to put on a good fucking match against anyone. And um, I love Seth. Uh, I don't know. I like, like, like you said, though, I think the reason why he's at two is because he was on fire and, you know, or down to your list for three, is because he was on fire and then they put him with the shield. And I Roman Reigns, could have made this list. He really could have. I know that there's a lot of fucking haters out there, and I'm sorry I'm not one of them, because he consistently puts on good matches. He might put on his style match and not put a lot of originality. I can get you on that, but he's still a damn good in-ring hand. And, uh, but I, I don't think that this stupid experiment you know, is needed to take your two top baby faces and put one underneath him to help him get over with Seth, and the other one to turn him heel with Braun Strowman, and you're not helping Dean you know, make a rise out of that but the stuff right now about Dean screwing over who, like, it's, it's getting set in the works. Who knows where they're going to go with it? Probably the wrong direction. But something I expect. Seth Rollins, Monday Night Rollins, number two. Who do you got for number two, Chris? Number two, I have your boy from Gainesville, Georgia, AJ Styles. The reason I have AJ Styles here is just over the past month. I think the guy that I have number one has kind of risen above him, but they need each other in the program. So, spoiler alert, everyone can probably figure out who my number one is right now. But uh, AJ Styles, consistently good. is always good on the mic when he has a good heel to work against. He's kind of that guy he needs someone to feed off of. I, I think AJ Styles has been money and will continue to be money throughout the rest of his career. But specifically since they moved to SmackDown, I think he's just been, if not number one, a very close number two. This is a very shuffle for me. You could, you could go either way, but the uh, my number one is right now what I would consider on fire. So uh, AJ Styles slides to number two. Hi, man. I'm from Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, I love <laughs> AJ Styles. And you guys can probably find out or figure out who my number one is. I will give this. I don't think he's bad on the mic, and I've seen his stuff from earlier when his accent was so fucking thick you couldn't even understand anything. And I'm, I mean, I've lived in Georgia since '97. Chris is from there, but you know he's got thick accent. Um, 
might not be the greatest on the mic, but my God, he is. I will say this every single time. If Shawn Michaels is fucking Michael Jordan, he's LeBron James. That's just how it is. He is the best, and he might be better because of the fact that he's advanced. And I, I, Shawn Michaels is my favorite wrestler of all time. But he's, he can do stuff and has tried stuff that's been innovative and new and different. He's a fucking great in-ring uh, performer. He's great as a heel, great as a baby face. He's had the title for – and the title that matters, really, you know, with lineage uh, to most fans, I would think, for a very fucking long time. Um, and you put him against anyone, Cian Amis, Samoa Joe, him and Shinsuke was a little bit lackluster, but I think that was more on the people putting the matches together than I think it would blame Shinsuke and AJ. They've had a fucking amazing match. So, you know, there, there's that. Uh, I just, I love AJ Styles. And I think that when thinking about it, his championship run and his skills make up for his, and I still think he's great on the mic, the fact that I know who your number one is, my number three, and it's funny that our top three were, same, just different people. But, uh, yeah, uh, Samoa Joe is, I'm assuming, your number one, Chris. My number one is Samoa Joe. Oh, Wendy. I think that he is doing great fucking hill work. He is doing so good at carrying that story and continuing a storyline that obviously could be pretty weak. Um, but the way he's doing it have shades of uh, – you know, Austin showing up at Brian Pillman's house, for instance. Obviously not to the same extent, but it has this that <laughs> kind of shade. It really feeds into the Joe is going to kill you chant. Uh, also, Samoa Joe, since he came back, he has had some really good matches. Uh, I think, you know, with with them kind of doing two bullshit finishes in a row, they hurt the the overall quality of matches with him in AJ Styles. I think they need to just let him go. Like, take the reins off, give them 35, 40 minutes, let those two guys go, um, and then hopefully the bell gets put on Joe. Because I feel like it opens up the entire rest of the roster. With with AJ Styles being a stopgap, I have no problem with him being champion. I think he's done a great job. It's just, if you're trying to build other baby faces, which is a very, if you look at it, it's kind of the way they have it. It's set up as a very heel roster in general. Um I think it would be a good idea to kind of split things up a little bit and give Joe the title, have AJ fight his way back for it, and then set up that match down the line. But right now, Joe has just been on fire with his promos, and his in-ring work has always been impeccable. Just knowing the kind of match that AJ Styles and Samoa Joe can have, the only thing you can that you can ask for is, like, let them have the John Cena and AJ Styles match. Like, take the reins off of them, let them go. Don't try to stipulate it. Just have a fucking match. Cena and Styles in the past. And why those matches stand out to me, I don't know if it's like Cena has enough swing where he can get the extra time and, and build a match. But props for me even thinking of that, right? Because if you go back and you look at those those AJ Styles and John Cena matches, those, those may be AJ Styles' best matches. If you don't throw, I guess you can throw the one-off with him and Finn Balor, but if you're looking at, at a series of matches, the matches he had with uh, John Cena were pretty damn yeah. good. You're talking about three. Right? So, I think if you take the reins off, you let him and Samoa Joe go, um, it's an interesting storyline. I, I think it can be great. I, I don't understand why this one is a no DQ coming up uh, off the finish, but Samoa Joe has been one of the best, if not the best, for a very fucking long time. And he's always kind of been on AJ Styles' heels in whatever company they're at. So, me switching them one and two, I don't think anyone should have a problem. But, uh, yeah, Samoa Joe is my number one. 
and then if I, I, guess, if I look at my- What were you going to say? I was going to say just honorable mention Braun Strowman, and the only reason that he fell off of this list for me, which I hate that I don't have one fucking big guy, is that the current storyline he is in... The same thing. One of my favorites would definitely be up on this list, and I can't right now. It's just not... I don't even like him as a heel. I think it was just a stupid sacrifice. But either way, also about Samoa Joe, I think he's the best talker in WWE. I think he's over over Kevin Owens, over Adam Cole, over fucking Miz, over Daniel Bryan, I and, you know, Velveteen Dream. I think Samoa Joe is – that's why it's so amazing. He's so great in the ring. He's a big dude, and he fucking is great on the mic. Ugh. Anyways, we got to go into non-WWE. Uh, we're going to do another one probably next week. I'll say it next week, even though Chris has not uh, confirmed this. We'll do uh, our top uh, tag teams, and we'll do our top female wrestlers. So uh, to keep it, uh, since we have a little bit of time left, um, not exactly speed it up, but we're going to do this one differently, Chris. We're going to do – I'm going to do 10, 9, and 8, then you'll do the same, then 7, 6, and 5, and then we'll do our top four. Um, so I will start off. Uh, number 10 is Jay Lethal. I think Jay Lethal is an incredible in-ring hand, current Ring of Honor champion. I love his – and the fact that he did the Black Machismo, I love that impersonation that he did on All In. All the matches I've seen him in recently have been fucking awesome. Um, he's an incredible wrestler. He's amazing on the mic. He's just – there's other guys that are just, like, popping out to me that, you know, he kind of detracts a bit uh, than probably where he would be. Number nine – or, yeah, number nine is uh, Moose. Um, I'm big on Moose. I have been. I think that – you know, for his size, for him to be able to move the way he does. The fact that there are some people, my brother included, that know him outside of wrestling because of his past in the Patriots and the Falcons. Um, I just think that he's charismatic as hell. Uh, his mic skills aren't bad. He's got good look and he can move. And uh, I enjoy him. I don't. I, I didn't like that they turned him heel on Impact. was pretty pissed off about that. Similar situation to Braun Strowman, actually, to get uh, Austin Aries more over as a heel. What are you going to do? I guess it happens in wrestling. And uh, my number eight is um, Tetsuya Naito. He's got a little bit down. Um, he would probably be higher. I love Naito. He's just been on a losing streak. So, you know, if I'm going to base it off that right now, what have you done for me lately? Even though he does great matches, currently he's a little bit, you know, more down than he probably would be on my list. Chris, what is your 10, 9, and 8? My number 10 is Tamatonga, who is slowly on the rise to probably cracking the top five. I think he is a good in-ring worker. I like the stuff they're doing with bringing in Haku with Gorillas of Destiny, and I love all of the extracurricular activity with both his Twitter, uh, the fake New Japan suspension, just kind of his asshole character in general, and I think if he wins the tag team titles, he's going to be on a bit of a run. So Tamatonga is my number 10. My number 9, Austin Aries. He squeaks into this list. I think he's done great work in Impact. He would probably actually be higher. I had watched all of Impact uh, over the past four or five months. But Austin Aries has been one of my favorite wrestlers for a long time, and I think he's just great, very underrated as far as the grand scheme of things goes. So we fall in at number nine. Number eight, Will Ospreay. Haven't seen this guy have a bad match. Uh, he has some spots that scare me, but he's just very, very fucking entertaining. Great, great in-ring. Um, there's something about him that's very charismatic, similar, almost similar to Jeff Hardy in a way. So, uh, Will Osprey rounds up number eight. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to mention uh, just some more mentions. I'll keep on saying consistently through this, partially because I forgot about certain people. But uh, Austin Aries, love Austin Aries, love Will Ospreay, and I love uh, Zack Saber Jr. Uh, continuing uh, for my seventh choice is uh, Cody. You know, he probably would be lower. I just think that his heel work was great. What he did against, you know, um, the Bullet Club and splintering them and then turning it around and somehow becoming a huge baby face. And then everything with All In, you know, all the stuff behind it with him and the Young Bucks, what they're able to do. And then him winning the NWA title, which the match wasn't, you know, so electrifying or anything like that, but just the principle and everything that happened with it and the pageantry was awesome. And uh, I love Cody. I I hope he doesn't go back to fucking WWE. I know that he still, you know, holds Vince McMahon highly whenever he talks about him, and he probably learned a lot. But he's done so much outside of there that's pretty amazing. When I was first introduced to him, he was one of the lackeys for Randy Orton, along with Ted DiBiase Jr. And to see him grow, I just, I really do enjoy him. Number six is a psychopath that I just appreciate so much called Sammy Callahan. Great heel work, taking something like a fucked up accident that probably shouldn't have happened and turning it into, you know, it's him and Tommaso Ciampa are the two best heels online. They really just rally the trolls and they make people hate them. And it's pretty damn impressive. It also sucks that even though someone that's later on my list uh, went against him in a hardcore match and hit him in the face with a baseball bat that no one really reflects on that too much. Um, but And it was a complete accident, too. Very, very weird and coincidental. But Sammy Callahan's doing some fucking OP shit work when it comes to being a heel. Number five is the classic great professional wrestler, Tanahashi. I love him. Uh, very old school, uh, New Japan style, or just, just great wrestling style just in general. Great form. Just super ever baby face. Uh, he's a rock star, man. He always puts on great matches. You know, uh, there's reasons why... I, I compare him to Ricky Steamboat and to even, like, uh, Eddie Guerrero in, in certain senses. And that, you know, he can get in the ring with anyone, fucking put on a great match. Um, he just, he's good. Uh, same thing with Metzler comparing him to Bret Hart. But, uh, yeah, that's my, uh, yeah, seven, six, and five. What do you got, Chris? For uh, number seven, I have Bad Luck Folly. I think there's just something special about that guy. He's an absolute fucking monster in the ring. Watching any match with him, he gives 100% of his all, and he just beats the absolute shit out of whoever he's facing. And uh, for me, that goes a, a long way. Uh, my number six, Johnny Mundo, a.k.a. gimmick name, John Morrison. Uh, I love Johnny Mundo. I think he's fucking incredible. Uh, just great matches in Lucha Underground. I'm really excited to see some footage from this Chris Jericho cruise with him kind of showing up. Um, I'm hoping maybe he will end up in New Japan and do some stuff over there and, and maybe even make a return back to the WWE. Honestly, I would love to see him show up at a Royal Rumble and, and hit some signature spots, definitely with the parkour stuff. I think he's one of my favorites. He has been for a long time. I was always really sad that WWE let him go. So he, he makes the list at number six and number five, he just made the list. Chris Jericho, obviously he would be a whole lot higher, but he's kind of bouncing between two companies. Uh, Chris Jericho just continuously reinventing himself. Him comparing his opponents to a turtle recently while being a rock star <laughs> and showing up at All In and continuously 
just putting on good matches in more of a brawling style as opposed to the classic Chris Jericho style. And the promos he's been cutting are just fucking amazing. This man is ageless. He's fucking great. So seven, Bad Luck Folly. Six, Mundo. And number five, Chris Jericho, who easily could have been my number one if I really wanted to be a dick about this. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to add that honorable mention, Fale, Ishii, <laughs> which completely tanked on. And Y2J, I'm just going to put him as OG. I mean, he's so in between at this point that's like he's on a godly concept that just – he he's what Rick Player was to the 80s and 90s, man. He is to the fucking odds now, man. I just – I really, truly believe that. And he's not having a decline. I love Ric Flair, but he did, unfortunately, within the 90s. He just, he's a badass. He reinvents himself. Like, if Flair is Marilyn Monroe, he's Madonna. Okay? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. <laughs> so much. Um, four for me is Johnny Gimmick name, Johnny Mundo, Johnny Morrison. John, uh, he's fucking awesome, man. He's I love him on uh, Lucha Underground. I love him on Impact. I, I'm so happy I can watch a format and MLW just of him being able to go from heel to babyface. He does great with both roles. Uh, recently on Lucha Underground, Joey Mercury came back, so they get to fucking you know have some matches and shit together. They haven't done that yet, but they better. So he joined his faction, and I love Johnny Mundo. I, I he 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 had three friggin' AAA championships at the same damn time last year and the Lucha Underground Championship at the same time. I mean, I know it's all a work, but that's pretty just awesome. And I, either way, New Japan, him and him and Kenny Omega just makes me salivate. Or, you know, him and uh, WWE coming back and having some matches with the likes of Almist and fucking Rey Mysterio's coming back and AJ and everyone. Like, hell yeah. Love John Morrison, front of the show. Good dude. Uh, good brother, if you will. Uh, who's your number four, Chris? Number four, Tetsuo Nato, who would be much higher, but like you said, he's taken some losses. He's still just one of the most entertaining personalities. His ability to get over how much of a fucking heel he is in a match, just by his his body language and, and the way he acts in a match is still fucking incredible to me. So my number four is Nato. Number three, Pentagon Jr. Stock has gone up a shit ton. Uh, he was MLW tag champion with his brother. I mean, he was at, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Triple Mania performing in the main event there. He was in All In having an incredible match with Kenny Omega, Lucha Underground champion, great matches there, Impact, doing shit over there. I just, I love him. There's so many elements that remind me of just, like, somewhat, I know that he's influenced by Steve Austin. I can kind of see that. But there are Sting and Great Muda influences to me, that I see at least. And the fact that he's one of the only guys, soon to be probably a WWE guy, that's on the market that's one of the biggest names that WWE doesn't have. It was it was, it was cool, and I hope that they treat him and Phoenix right when they make their transition to WWE. Chris, who do you got for three? Well, right off the bat, I want to say uh, I left out Phoenix and, and Pentagon Jr. both because they've recently signed with WWE. So I threw them off the list. They would easily make this list. So props on them. But uh, my number three is the black machismo, Jay Lethal. I think that he is consistently and has been for the longest time one of the most underrated wrestlers. I know that some people had a problem with his match 
at all men, but overall the quality of the match itself was pretty good as far as the injury group goes. It's a great fucking wrestler, great personality, Jay all around good guy. Hopefully one day we'll get him on the show. My number three is Jay You know, you bring up a good point. So if we were to do that stock, I'm just basing it off this last year, but take Pentagon off, move everyone up one, and put Ishii at ten because he's fucking he's kicks some ass and he's a badass. But uh, I love him to come, so I can't wait for him. Well, I don't know. I'm scared, too. Anyways, I need to go on. Number two, I think we're going to have a flip-flop again like we did last year, um, is Kazuchika Okada. Um, <laughs> he, could, he could possibly be number one. Uh, we, have to be, we have to be realistic that even though he's probably arguably the greatest wrestler on the planet right now, uh, with AJ my number one probably clipping at his heels, uh, he lost the title, though he had it for a very long time. I realize that, and they've been making this story of him getting losing to come back up. So I'll just say that as my excuse. But I, I love Kazuchika Okada, but he is number two for me. Chris, who do you got for two? <laughs> my number two, one of the best Street Fighter players in the world. That's a professional wrestler, <laughs> Kenny Omega Man. <laughs> Uh, obviously, body of work speaks for itself. Uh, just recently in the news with those heel promos against uh, Tanahashi. Just phenomenal. The stuff he's doing with the Golden Lovers. Carrying that kind of storyline in general takes a lot of balls. Uh, even the video game stuff at Evo he did with New Day. This guy is all over the place, just constantly entertaining me. Kenny Omega is my number two. And if I was taking in all of it, all entertainment outside of wrestling, he would probably easily be number one. But when I'm talking about straight wrestling, ball's just a little short. Well, I, I agree to disagree, but I, I, I appreciate I feel like I'm talking like John Cena, like when he's trying to explain something. Um, I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, I can speed up a little, a little bit more, and um, I will just say my number one was Kenny Omega. He is my favorite. I think he's had an incredible year. Stuff with Golden Lovers, him winning the title. Um, just his consistent performances, his personality, and just everything about him. I, I think he's so much fucking fun. Um, and uh, I'm going to pass it to you, Chris. You say your number one, explain why, and then say goodbye to the good people. My number one, the man who makes it rain money, Kazuchiko Okada, the rainmaker. Absolutely phenomenal. This man has had, if you take out triple triple tag team matches or 3v3 tag team matches. This man has not had a bad match in a year and a half. Kazuchika Okada is a fucking monster. And when he rises from the ashes out of this storyline to go back for the title, it will probably be one of the best runs to the title that we have ever seen. I'm going to go ahead and put that down in ink so you guys mark your calendars for the day that Kazuchika Okada gets back to the title. He's going to be fucking phenomenal. And along the way, he's going to have some great matches. So I'm really looking forward to it. Anyone want to follow me, you can hit me at Chris R. Patton on Twitter, at Chris R. Patton. And uh, make sure to check out, you know, us on Facebook and, and Twitter and all of the different gimmicks that I'm sure Dane will name. And everyone have a great week, man. Continue to watch wrestling, and uh, thank you for listening. Love you guys. Yeah, we love we love our fans, and we love just people in general. You know, we just try to be that. All right, well, that was another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Uh, like I said, next week we'll go back to our normal time at 7 o'clock p.m. EST on Wednesdays uh, like we normally do. And just check us out. Uh, you know, we got our website, gvnation.com. 
uh, for Geek Spies Nation. Uh, it's going to link to our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter, our, our iTunes where you can listen to this. And we also have the Blog Talk service right there. Or you can go to blogtalk.com. And remember, Geek Spies Nation on Facebook. Join the conversation. It was so much fun. And, uh, you know, I guess really that's all I have to say about that. And that's the bottom line. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful night with the Geek Fives with you and peace out. Hey, monkeys, it's me, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, the king of Bada Bing, the master of Diamond Cutter, the three time world champion professional wrestler, WWE Hall of Famer, and CEO and founder of DDP Yoga. And you, monkeys, well, you're listening to Geek Vibes Nation. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Bang! BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.